Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Man, oh man, I just want to, all, all series long, I want to go, ta-da, like that. Anybody else want to do that? It's been crazy. Hey, these bumpers have been amazing every week. Have you all liked them, enjoyed those? Our creative team works hard on all that. And it's hard to believe that the summer's almost over. I remember literally starting to map this series out. It seemed like it was January or February. We started map- mapping this series out. And man, now, now you guys are, kids are going back to school and summer's over. And I have a new favorite series starting next week on prayer. So you're going to um, really want to be a part of that. But we're going to wrap up today uh, this series called Epic. And we're going to look at one of my favorite stories of the Bible. But I'm, I'm going to kind of just think through and kind of get everybody on the same sheet of music. And if you haven't been able to maybe get all of them. Um, I would encourage you to go to journeycommunity.net. Every week has been just amazing. And it's been little small truths or sometimes really big truths. Um, but we looked at Moses two different ways, two different angles, the Red Sea, the burning bush. I mean, it was just amazing. And then we looked at David and that, that battle, that epic battle against, uh, against the giant Goliath. And then we took a look at Esther there again. It's still one of my favorite, just that one line, for God created you for such a time as this. And that's, that's, that's powerful. I believe God's put that call on everybody's life in this room that you were created for such a time as this. And then Alan looked at um, the, I mean, Brian looked at the one that, uh, the woman that didn't, or the, the girl that didn't have a name, like no, nameless, but she had big impact, saved a whole generation. And then Alan looked at uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer. And last week we took a look at Nehemiah, 52, great work. I am so appreciative of all the people that said, you know something, I'm going to join with you on the 52. So I started last Monday um, praying, um, literally praying an hour a day. Um, for just our world that we live in, our church, that God will continue to use our church. So you can still jump on. You don't have to be specifically 52. And today we're going to take a look at something. And it's interesting because I had a conversation. How many people in our room are either military currently or were military or first responders? Would you raise your hand up real high? Raise up. I want to see Let's give them a big round of applause. I know it's not, you know, it's not any of the special days. We should be, we should applaud, be applaud, applauding people like that every day. But I've always had a real just honestly, a real um, gratitude for people that serve our country, that put themselves in the harm's way, regardless whether they're busting in a building uh, with a fire or if they're taking care of somebody on the side of the road or if they're halfway across the world, you know, guarding our nation uh, so people uh, can do what we do. But I have an extra appreciation for people that go to the front lines, that, that like, this is tough enough, but decide... They make a conscious effort. They choose to go to the front lines. I have a friend of mine. He was stationed here at Eisenhower. He's actually not here right now, but he said to me a couple weeks ago, um, he said, Pastor Bob, you're not going to see us around for a while. And I said, well, is everything okay? Did something happen? Did I offend you? You know, like that kind of deal. He goes, no. He says, um, he says I have made a decision to leave my cushy job here at Eisenhower, and I am going to go halfway across the world, and I'm going to serve our country in a different way. He's a medic. And so he's going to go over there, and what he's going to do is he's going to be in one of the... If you're old like me, you remember a show named MASH. Anybody remember the show named MASH? He is actually going to be joining like a MASH unit over in... And I, I, I didn't realize this was a real place. I, I love saying this word. It's a horrible place, but Djibouti. Um, so doesn't that sound like a cool word? You wouldn't let your kids say it too many times in the house, like Djibouti. But, um, but so he's going to go serve over in Djibouti. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that he chose to do that, that he went to the front lines because I would bet that a lot of us in this room would say there's been times in our lives where we've had the opportunity to go to the front lines and we decided not to. 
I'm not talking about necessarily war. I'm just talking about in our lives where we, we've decided to take on something uh, that's bigger than us or we've decided to maybe, you know, it's a, a, a social injustice that you see and you decide to step out way out there or maybe it's a racial injustice and you decide to step out in that warfare. A lot of us, myself included, there's been times where I've cowered away from that line because sometimes it just takes too much energy. The story of Gideon is a story of a man that runs to that line and he says, you know something, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight because I knew who I'm fighting for. But it wasn't without a lot of questions, a lot of different comments. And so what I'd like to do is take the big 10,000 foot uh, flyover like we've been doing and I want to fill it in. I'm going to backfill it with the things that I think are really important to us. So the very first thing is it starts with a call of God. So God tells him to go against the Midianites. The Israelites, uh, there's several hundred thousand, but the Midianites are strong in number. And so he, uh, he gets this call. He feels like God tells him. And I want you to notice something, that every story we have talked about over the last eight weeks have been stories where somebody got a call from God because everything we do good in our lives starts with a call from God. When God tells somebody to do something, he takes it from ordinary uh, to extraordinary. He takes it from just normal to epic. And so that's what we've been looking at. So he has this call from God. Well, he's kind of unsure. And I don't know about you guys. You don't have to raise your hand. But there's been times where God has spoke to me, and I'm a little unsure. I'm not quite sure if that's the exact direction that God wants me to go. So he puts what the Bible calls, or people have called, a fleece before God. We're going to break this all down. You're going to understand him. And remember, the high-level flyover. So he puts his fleece out before God, and God answers his prayer twice, as a matter of fact. He, two different types of ways. He says, if you answer this this way, then I'll know it's you. Then he goes, well, if you answer it this way, then I'll know it's you. So he gets the okay in the fleece. He gets the okay from the word from God. So he goes to the nation of Israel, and he says, how many people are with me? How many people are going to fight the Midianites? How many people are willing to go to battle? 32,000 men say, I'll do it. I'm there. I'll cross that line. I'm with you, heart and soul. Whatever you need, I'm there for you. Well, the problem was it was 32,000 against 135,000. That's uh, if, if we do math, not Hepzibah math, if we do Evan's math, just kidding. That's one out of four. That's one of four. So you have 32,000 against 135,000. Now, I don't know about you guys. I'm not liking those odds very much. Okay, I'm, I've never been to war. I'm not a soldier. I don't claim to be a soldier. But I would think that you would have to think long and hard whether you're going to take that team into that area. Okay, so that's the first thing. Well, then God says to Gideon, he says, you have too many people. And he goes, what do you mean I have too many people? Could you imagine this conversation, God, and God, you have too many people? He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know how you do math up there, but the way we do it down here, this is not too many people. He goes, well, my style of math is different than your style of math. Here's the ultimate thing that's going to happen. God wants to make it a God thing, not a Gideon thing. And the only way he can make it a God thing, the only way he can get the honor and the glory that he deserves is to take all of human out of the, out of the equation. So he says, to the, he says to God, he has this conversation, he says, what do you want me to do? He goes, ask him how many are afraid. So he says, okay, how many of you are afraid in the nation of Israel, afraid to go to war? 22,000 stepped out at that moment, leaving 10,000 people. So 10,000 against 135. How many are going? Nah, I bet you're not. Then God tells him again, too many. I guarantee you Gideon's going, have you, have you lost your mind? And so he goes, I want you to do this. I want you to take all the men. I want you to take them down to the river. And the ones that, that drink, like they put their face in the water and they blow bubbles and they're laughing it up and they're doing all that, the savages, I don't want you to take with you. I want you to take the polite drinkers with you. I want you, the ones that dip their hands in the water and kind of just circle up like, like, like you know, like girly girls, like, you know, like, that's the ones you're going to go to battle with. Can you imagine that? Guess how many he has left? 300. 
300. Now, these aren't brave heart people. These aren't the people that I want to go to battle with, but 300. Now, if you know the story, you know what happens. If you don't know the story, I'm going to tell you what happens. He takes three different groups of 100 per group, and he takes them and he moves them on different sides of the Midianites. And they're weapons of warfare. I'm wanting a machine gun. I want a tank. I want one of those things, right? He says, this is what you're going to take. Each of you is going to take a pot that's made out of clay and, and a torch. Go get them. <laughs> like, what are you going to... And he goes, oh, by the way, when you get over there, all I want you to do with the top... I don't want you to throw the clay pot at them. No, that would be too easy. I want you to break the clay pot with a torch and watch what happens. Like, you're crazy. This is ridiculous. Well... They end up winning the battle. Now, we can end it right there, right? We can go, well, that's a great story. It's another epic story. But like we've talked about every week is I think there's these things put in the Bible so we can look back at the human portion of this and go, you know something? I can put myself right in the shoes of these people. And the very first thing is I'm backfilling. I want all of us to understand because every one of us at some point or another in our lives is going to deal with this. We need to understand that God sees something in you. God sees something in me that you may not even see yourself. There's times in our lives, right? There's times in our lives where we see failure, we see mess-ups, we see addictions, we see heartache, we see you know, financial disaster, we see all that stuff, and God sees miracle. And God sees, you know, God sees something great, a workmanship. And so in this story, Gideon literally sees himself as a failure. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. As a matter of fact, if you want to do me a favor... You can literally open up the book of Judges, Judges chapter 6, seventh book in the Bible. If you're using the Bible that Jesus used, it's page 205. <laughs> All right? So I just want you to put your finger here because we're in a kind of 6, 7, and 8 because that's where the story lands. I want you to get this. And if you're, a, if you're an analog Bible user, I would encourage you today to take a few notes. Like underline, you can write in your Bibles. How many people know that? They're, they're good. And they make more. If you, if you mess up, you can go buy another Bible, right? So... Like, but there's some really great truths here. So here's the first thing. God sees something in you that you may not even see in yourself. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terabith of Oprah, which belonged to Joash, the Aborigine, while his son Gideon, now watch this. What is he doing? He's beating out the wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Mennonites. He is literally hiding from the soldiers that God's telling him to go kill. So he's, he's, he's retreat. He's, he's scared. How many other people would say, yes, I'd be scared in that moment too? So he's literally hiding out. Now watch what happens. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, O mighty men of valor. Now, I don't know what Gideon was seeing in himself, but at that moment, God was seeing a man of valor. While he was hiding, while he was beating the wheat, while he was you know, threshing or doing whatever he was doing, he was seeing, God was seeing a mighty man of valor. And, then said, and God said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds and all the, uh, that, that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of, the Midian, uh, the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. He goes, Listen, you're going with me. You, you are something special because you're going with me. I'm going with you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? He said, Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you will strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found your favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that, is you, that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from me here until I come to you and bring out my present 
and set it before you. And he said, I will stay with your return. God, see, Gideon is describing himself as one, one way, and God is describing Gideon as another way. I'm just a man threshing wheat. I'm just a poor, I'm the weakest of the weak. I'm the weakest in Manasseh. And God's going, mighty man of valor. He's going, you're strong. Isn't that the way it is with us? So many times we go, God, I can't do anything in my life. I'm a failure. Do you know what my past looks like? And God goes, I don't give a rat's rear end about your past. I'm about your future. I'm about to do a great work in you. Right. And how many times have we eliminated what God was going to do because we keep looking at our past? I said this last week. I am so glad I'm not what I used to be, but I am almost as glad I'm not yet what I'm going to become. What God has for me is exceedingly abundantly above all I can ask or imagine. That's what God has for me. God, getting described as, as one way, as a little small, little whatever. But you know something? You know what I found out? Power is packed in small packages sometimes. You know that? It, it may even look like weakness at times. I've been reading uh, about the, um, the Balkan Wars. Anybody know, remember the Balkan Wars, 19, the early 1900s? So they put out 90,000 landmines in this little area. I think it was like 466 square miles. They put 900,000. Well, since the Balkan, they, they, I think they fought for four years. There's been 25 hundred deaths just because of the mines that are still out, out there. So they constantly are trying to find these mines, but they can't figure it. And originally, one of the things that they did, I was reading about this this morning, but originally what they did is they sent people that were sick and they were feeble and they, 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 they felt like they were dispensable. It's awful, right? That we shouldn't ever do that. Well, then they started sending dogs out and the dogs were too heavy that every time they would hit a landmine, the, the dog would blow up. So what are they going to do? Because they have all these $900,000. So they started training like... This is not another military. Like, they started training bumblebees. Like, bring in the bees. <laughs> That's real scary, right? It's like the yellow jackets at Georgia Tech. Oh, I didn't say that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Go dogs. Anyway, <laughs> even in July, we can have football conversations. So they started training bees, and what they did is they started mixing their food with, with TNT, the, the explosive that was in these, these bombs. And so they started going. So when anywhere the bees would start to develop a hive, they knew that that's where the TNT was. And they start, So since they started training these bees, they have not had a fatality. Little things, big results. God's still in the business of using little things with big results. You know, there's a lie out there. And if you don't mind me telling you, this is the lie. There's lots of people that feel like God only uses special people or he only uses gifted people or only uses people that have never made a mistake or that, that have never had a problem in their life. They've never gone through a divorce or a breakup or lost a job or, you know, had a financial... That, that God only uses... And that's the... Far, and, and just like everything else, the devil uses half-truth, doesn't he? See, because I do believe he uses special people. And I do believe he uses people that are gifted and, and talented. And I do believe he uses people that are available. But not gifted and talented and all that because of who they are, they're gifted and talented because God chose to use them. And in that being used, the gifts were shown. And, and the Bible says this, in our weaknesses, God's made strong. Not in my, not in my strength, not in my, my power, not in the might I do. And one of the biggest things the enemy uses is that constantly. I want to do the opposite today. I want to build, you know, build us up. First, first Peter says it like this in 2.9, but you're a chosen race. You're, you're special. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people from his own possessions, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Can I explain to you real quick how special you are? I'm going to tell you how special you are today. There's a lot of people in this room, not everybody, but there's a lot of people in this room 
that I would die for. Not everybody. We good? All right. You choose. You can be whatever side you want to be on. But there's nobody in this room that I would give you my child for. There's, there's, I would never give my child up to save any person in this room. And that's what God did for us. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, while we were far from him, while we were still in our awesome, you know, awful sin, while we were still way over here, he sent his son, his perfect son, to die on the cross, to die on the cross for this nasty, stinking, rotten world. That's how special each of us is. That, that's how special you are. That's how special I am. I don't care how many mistakes you made or what you've done wrong. That's how special you are. I want, I want to take it a step further. Anybody ever walk outside after a thunderstorm in, 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 in July or August and you see that beautiful rainbow? The same God that created that rainbow is the same God that created you and loves you. The same God. Anybody ever get up in the morning and watch a, a sunrise come up and you go, oh my gosh, it takes your breath away, right? It's like, oh, you know, God's majesty. How can anybody look at a sunrise and not see God? The same God that created that sunrise created you. That sunset that we're going to get to see tonight, man, I love it in Georgia. I'm, I'm up by the lake now. It gets all orange and it gets all these cool colors up there. That same God that creates that sunset is the same one that loves you and died for you. The same one that dipped his hand into the Grand Canyon and pulled out the rock so that river would go through, or the same one that built the Rocky Mountains, or the same one that threw the Milky Way into his position is the same God that loves you and cares about you. That's how special you are. That's how special I am. Don't ever, ever, ever for a second think that God can't use you. God's still in the business of using mess-ups and turning them into masterpieces. Somebody say save me to that. All right, here's the second thing. Let's backfill this point a little bit. Just because you have questions doesn't mean you're disobedient. Can, can I, can I, I need to take some time on this one because this is one that I struggle with. Anybody ever, ever question God in the room? You can be honest, okay? This is a safe place, right? We talk, we talk about safe place to hear a dangerous message. Anybody ever question God? I question God. I've been a believer since 1983 and I still have questions. There's still times um, I just got done with the season, just to be quite honest with you, that I had some questions. I had questions um, because of some health situations going on. Like, I was like, God, like, what are you doing? Anybody ever, ever have those? You know, you hear, you know, uh, so that, that's kind of where I was at. And, and literally that comes because years and years and years ago, when I first became a believer, we were going to a church and there's elders and deacons and pastors. Well, one of the elders came up to me and I said, I have a question for you. I was a young man, 17, 18 years old. I was trying to form in me my own um, convictions and my, taking my values, my parents' values and all that and turn them into mine. And I just said, I am not sure about all this God thing. And I said, are you sure that this is blah, 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 what happens? And he goes, I'm not even sure you're a Christian. And so for multiple years now, I've had this thing in the back of my mind that if I question God, I must not even be a Christian. I'm glad he's not sitting on the judge or the jury, amen? amen. That I'm gonna get the... I'm going to see him face to face. And he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on into your rest now, right? Amen. We're going to, I'm glad you're not the judge and jury, by the way, too, okay? But so I, I've always had these questions. And then what I'm realizing is all through the Bible, a lot of these characters that we've talked about over the last eight weeks, all of them had questions. All of them questioned. All of them, all of them raised their hand. All of them kind of scratched their head when God gave them their assignment because some of the assignments that God gives us are almost like you have to question them because it's almost so big. There's insurmountable odds. I love the way Judge says it in Judges chapter 6. Listen to what Gideon says. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? 
And, and where, where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us to the hand of Midian. I don't know if y'all caught that. That was three questions in one sentence. Like he never even took a breath. It was like, here's, well, let's put him back up there real quick. Here's the three questions. Why then has all this happened to us? You ever ask that question? God, why has this happened to us? Why did, why did that breakdown happen? Why did that person have to die that way? Why did we have to go through financial ruins? Why did this happen? Why did this? We do it all the time. That's one of the greatest questions, I think, as believers that transitions us to having an amazing amount of convictions is we go, okay, God, why has this happened? And we don't always get the answer, but we do get, at least we know who's in charge of the situation. And then he says this, and where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recount to us? Don't tell me we've never said that. You know what that one is? Why is that person being blessed and I'm not being blessed? Like, you, do, you did this to all of Egypt. Why aren't you doing it here? Why they were over there, you were doing this. And then he asked this question. He said, did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? Recount us, did not. And, and what he's saying there, if you understand the language, he's going, did you leave us out here to die? Isn't that the same thing that they said when they, when they left Egypt? Did you just leave us out? It would have been better. We died as slaves than we died out here. So three questions. But it doesn't end there. And I love the Lord's response back in verse 14. He said, the Lord turned to him and said, go, into the, go, in, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of the Midian. Do not I send you. He didn't even address the questions, did he? Isn't that so cool? Like so many times we have questions and God goes, I, you're asking the wrong questions. Let me just tell you, you're going in my might. Just go. Just do what I tell you to do. Be quiet, right? Anybody, you know, that's why God doesn't ask our opinion. Right. Did you ever notice that? God never asked our opinion. Right. Like, but, and then this. So that's three questions, like bam, 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 right? It gets better. Verse 14. Don't, don't tell me this isn't just like us. Verse 14. And the Lord turned to him and said, right? And he said, drop down to verse 36. Then Gideon said to God, if, 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 if. Now he's already told him twice, I'm going to. If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. This is where if you've ever heard anybody put a fleece before God, this is it. I'll talk about that in a second. If there's a dew on the on the fleece alone, and it's dry on the ground. So if just the, just the, the, the sheep skin is wet, but everything else is dry, then I shall know you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose the next morning, he squeezed the fleece. He wrung enough dew uh, from the fleece to fill a bowl of water. Verse 39. Now watch this. How many people would that have been enough for? Like God, like just come, come on, seriously. I'm thinking, got it. My assignment is to go kill. I don't care how many, 300. Take, I'll take three with me. You just did this really cool thing back here. Like, really cool, God. <laughs> right? Verse 39. This is the fifth time. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. It's not anger. I think God's going, oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, our kids, our kids, like, you ever do when your kids, like, ask you for the 10th time? Like, can I go out? No, you can't go out. You got to do homework. Can I go out? Can you? No, you can't. How many times I got? That's, I, I, I'm waiting. In the Bobby version of this, literally God says to him, how many times I got to tell you this? Right? So he goes, 39. Then Gideon said to him, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. He said, please let me test just once more with this fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only and on the ground let there be dew. And God did it that night and it was dry on the fleece only and on the ground there was dew. Now, here's what I get. We all question God. And he's no different than we are. I mean, he's no different. And maybe there's actually been times where I've asked 8 and 10 and 12 times. God, are you sure you want us to do that? You sure you want us to start that? You sure us, 
You want me to hire that? You sure you start this, whatever it is? You sure? You sure? Now, what I've learned is even the most mature believers I've ever been around have questioned God. Somebody say amen to that. So I have a group of people that I hang out with. We call them J groups around here. And if you're not in a J group, I would encourage you to get a J group. You, you are better doing life with other people. That's all there is to it. Um, and, and one of the things that we, uh, several years ago, there's something came up in one of our lives and we started asking lots of questions. And I asked the question, I said, what is the hardest thing um, that you struggle with? What's the biggest thing you struggle with? What's the biggest question that you have? If you were to have God right here with you, what would you ask him? And these are some of the responses that came out, not necessarily in this order, but this one was the first one. The very first one is, does God exist? Anybody ever ask that one? Uh, I, my hand's raised, y'all. There's some times I just shake my head. I, I know he does. I know the God of the Bible. I do this all the time. I've been doing it for 30 years, but there's still times I just go, I don't see you. Like, I don't feel you. I don't sense you. Where are you at right now? Another question was, will Christianity, Christianity, Christianity ever work for me? I know people in this room, just because I know some of the stories that have asked that question. Will, will my life ever make sense? Is everything in the Bible true? Does God really care about me? Is Jesus the only way? Is Christianity the only true religion? Can God forgive me for all the sins I've committed? These are questions, and this wasn't a group of people that were just saved last week. These are people that have 20 and 30 years of being believers. We all ask questions, and then you know what I realized? It's all through the Bible. People all through the Bible have asked questions. Moses asked this question, Lord, why have you brought trouble to these people? That was after he exited from, from Israel, I mean from Egypt. Naomi, Ruth and Naomi, I went out full and the Lord has brought me home empty. Again, why? Man, have I ever said that one? Nehemiah, we read about him last week. Why is the house of God forsaken? Job, why have you sent me as your target? In fact, there's 300 questions that Job questions God 300 times in the book of Job. David, Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? Jeremiah, why is my pain perpetual land, my wound incurable? Hey, how about this? We have literally a tagline for a guy in the New Testament. His name was Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas. Why? Because he said, I won't believe. Right after the resurrection, all the disciples were together. They're hanging out. Peter, somebody says, hey, guess who we just saw? We saw Jesus. I won't believe that that's Jesus until I stick my finger in his side and put my finger in his hand. L listen to what he says in the book of, in the book of John, uh, chapter uh, 20, verse 25. He says, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand to, in, into his side, I will never believe. Verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside, and again, Thomas was with them. Although, although the doors were locked, this would have been enough. Although the doors were locked, Jesus walked through. Heck yeah. <laughs> Woo! We're, we're going to talk. I'm, I'm going to go back to this. Next week, we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to start a four-week series or a five-week series on prayer. And it's going to lead up to our 930. And I'm so excited about it. We're going to take a whole new approach on prayer. I think God wants us to have revolutionary prayers in this church. And we're going to see if we can do that. But I'm going to start next week. I'll, I'll, I'll give you, a, I'll prime the pump a little bit. Out of all the things that Jesus did, like healing people and raising from the dead, they wanted to know how to pray. Me? How did you walk through that door? Right? Come on, let's be honest. I'll get the praying thing later. We'll figure that one out, right? 
But man, when you walk through that door with Thomas standing there, that was off the chain, Jesus. That was amazing. Of course he believed. Eight days later, disciples inside again. Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Talk about an understatement. <laughs> then he said to Thomas, I love this. Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas didn't do any of that, by the way. At that moment right there, he realized, I bet he realized who it was. And he says this, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And even Thomas, hey, how about this one? Like, we don't like talking about this one very much. Do you know Jesus questioned God? This may mess with some of y'all's theology, by the way. He was 100% man. He was 100% God. He's on the cross after being brutally beaten. And he says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's questioning, isn't it? You're questioning God doesn't mean you're not a believer. It means you're human. And I love the fact that God has given us a brain and a mental capacity and the availability of asking questions because I believe what happens is it solidifies the convictions. It takes values and turns them into convictions when we understand the hand of God. And every one of us needs our convictions turned into real values. I love the way Josh McDowell said it. Josh McDowell said, that the 60s and the 70s, we were a Christian culture. 50s, 60s, 70s. In the 70s, 80s, it started turning into an anti-Christian culture. In the 90s, 2000s, 2010s, we are really in uh, almost a culture of not just anti, but we're, we're, we're like militant against Christianity right now. If there's ever been a time that we need to have values and have them solidified in concrete, is right now. And questioning those things is a part of, of that. And you know what happens when people question? I believe that the Bible says this. The Bible says, when you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Amen. I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy by the name of Lee Strobel. He wrote a book called Case for Christ several years ago. And the book is literally his, his journal of how he was trying to disprove God. He was an atheist working for the Chicago Tribune. His wife was a churchgoer and praying for him. You better watch out for praying wives, by the way. And praying mamas. Somebody say amen to that one. Praying mamas. So he started to disprove. He literally writes an article for the Chicago Tribune. He gets asked to come to Willow Creek and sit alongside of three other pastors up there. In trying to rebut Christianity, he becomes a believer that night because he said there was so much evidence it demanded some type of response. And he asked Jesus Christ to be his savior. Questioning even for an atheist is a good thing. It'll lead them down a road. It'll lead people down a road to making big, big conviction, conviction statements. Okay, that's the second thing. Let's backfill one more if we can. We got time for this? You ain't going nowhere anyway. We are promised victory and protection in the battles of life. But so many times we want them on our terms and we want them our way, don't we? I'm going to fight this way and you're going to give it to me this way. And the guy goes, no, 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 no. If, if, if Gideon had it his way, he was going with 35,000. He would actually like more than that. 
but he ended up going with 300. And so many times in our lives, we don't realize that even if, even when, God, God still, per, Judges chapter 7. I love the way it starts. And this is the one where he takes them down. He says, and the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps with the water with his tongue as dog laps, you shall set him by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink and the number of those who lapped, putting their hands in their mouths, was 300 men, but all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with 300, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give you the Mennonites in your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. Now stop there. Because in our little sterile world, we're going, this is so cool. Because we know the rest of the story. Put yourself knee deep in this one. Put yourself by the river right there when 300 people are coming up. And God's still saying, I'm going to give you the victory. Not the way you want it, Gideon, but the way I want it, because I want the glory. And then it says in verse 16, and he divided the 300 men. I think this plan stinks. I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> and he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets in their hands. I don't want musicians when I'm fighting. I want fighters. I love, Ju maybe Justin's a little... I want a guy that climbs a tree and swings from one tree to another tree. Or I want a guy that has calluses on his hands, or a girl if you want to fight with me. But you know what I'm saying? I don't want a good trumpet player. No. All right. He divided 300 men, empty jars, and he said to him, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and a hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke their jars. They held in their hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow and they cried out, a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they, when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord said, every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. So when they break the, they break the jars, they light the thing, they blow the trumpet. These people actually, 135,000, actually they kill each other. That's a dumb plan. But it worked. <laughs> worked better than my plan did. And see, that's the thing we got to understand. God knows the end story. We only know the beginning of the story. We only know the here and now, right where we're at. We don't know why God does, God, God does what he does. And some of you, I can hear uh, between first, first and second service, I had a guy walking along, I don't have any battlefields. Everybody in this room has a battlefield. You know that? You know what? Life is a battlefield. Um, Pat Benatar said love is a battlefield, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> Just for you 80s lovers. We were actually going to sing that song this morning. <laughs> love is a battlefield. How many people know that song? Awesome. Greatest church in the world. <laughs> we may not have battles like Gideon has, but we have battles, don't we? Listen, if you're a Christian right now, you have a battle. Because we, we live in a world that's not real friendly to us anymore. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite of friendly. But there's hope. I love what Jesus said. John 16, he said, I've said these things to you that you may have peace in this world 
you're going to have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He doesn't take us out of it. He just says, I'm going to be it. And I love the way in John 17, he says, I do not ask this for you to take them out of the world. You know, I know people that literally want to get away from all this stuff. And God says, I didn't take you out of this. I'm going to be there with you in it. That's what I want to do. He says that I'll take them out, but I'm going to keep you from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Um, one translation says this, you are not of this world. You're in this world, but you're not of this world. You want to know something? You're in this world. Right? Every, every one of us. We all have this world. Some of it, it's taking kids to soccer practice or baseball practice or running all around the world to, you know, the swim classes and going to work and paying bills and doing all that stuff. That's, our, that's, that's, that's in this world. But you want to know something? I need you guys to hear me on this one. You're in this world, but you're not of this world. You have a different set of values. You have a different vision that God's given you. You, have, you, you see things different. A couple years ago, right behind where I sit, a young man walked up to me after service, and he walked in, and I was talking about a statement. If you've ever been to on-ramp, I've made this statement before. I say that it's the dangerous message of Jesus. And I walked up the stage, and he goes, Pastor Bobby, I need to talk to you about this, because I don't know if that's, that's I, don't, I don't get that. And I said, I said something, this is why I say the dangerous message. You guys know this. When you, when you live for Christ, when, when you have asked Christ to be your Savior, number one in your life, Lord and God of your life, okay, it changes everything about you. And it's dangerous because you do everything differently. You raise your kids differently. You do your work differently. You do your vacations differently. You spend your money. Everything about you is different. It's dangerous. It's dangerous to follow Jesus. Now in the culture we live, it's dangerous to call yourself a believer. You're in this world, but you're not of this world. I love what, the way Jesus says it over and over again through scripture, that you're in it, but you're not of it. I like Psalms 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Isaiah 43, you want to talk about a proclamation of hope? When you pass through the waters, not if you pass, when you pass, because you will have to go through the waters. You will have to go through the fire. You will have to go through, it's just part of this life. When you pass through, I will be with you. Through the rivers, through though they shall not be overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. If God is for you, who can be against you? It's part of life. Stop running from it and run toward it. Because I believe there's purpose in this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna close right here, okay? I think there's two purposes why we need to run to the battle. Be like Gideon. Run to the battle. I think this is a big, a big learning lesson. The very first one is this, and it's really, really important. It's not the battle or the trial that makes you. It's how you respond to it. Everybody has battles. Everybody has trials. It's how you respond to them. It's how you deal with them. I can't tell you the amount of times I've sit in a room with somebody that just got told that they had cancer, terminal cancer, and all of a sudden you just go, Wow, like they're handling this amazingly. Like how, how, and I've said this before. How do people without hope and without Jesus ever deal with that kind of stuff? I don't know if you guys read this and big football fan, but Coach Bobby Bowden announced yesterday that he has a terminal illness. And you know what he said? I'm okay. You know why? This is in his world. When his eyes shut on this side of eternity, they open on that side of eternity and he sees Jesus, the one that loves us and cares about us and created us. It's how we respond to the trials. 
It's not the trials. It's how we respond to the battle. It's not the battle. That's the first thing. The second thing is equally as important, if not more important. As I believe through our battles, the way we handle them, through our struggles, the way we handle them, we let the light of Jesus shine. And people see, can I tell you something? People are watching you. Every move you make, every breath you take, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's that kind of morning. <laughs> I love you, man. I was in a meeting just recently and it got very tense for a few minutes. And I've learned um, being a leader and trying to be a good leader to listen and to hear both sides of the story and to gather all the information I could possibly gather before I make an assessment or even open up my mouth. So we get to the very end of the thing and I finally say, I say what I, I'm going to say and there's this wow in the room for a second. And one of my friends, he goes, man, you handled that with grace and truth. And I'm going to tell you, that's not Bobby because I'm usually anger and no filter y'all right and so we get done with the meeting and one of the guys walks up to me and he says I just want you to know that everybody was watching you everybody was waiting for how you were going to respond to this the the weight that you carry when you walk in the room you take the breath out of the room you carry a heart a large weight and he said we were waiting to see what happened and let me tell you this there's people around you watching how you're handling your battles they're watching how you handle your, your trials, your struggles, your arguments with your wife, the things that happen in your life. There's, there's people around you watching. They're at Publix. They're in your house, by the way. They're in your house. They're at Publix. They're at Walmart. Everywhere you go. And so in this, in this story, we're still talking about Gideon thousands of years later, aren't we? Because somebody was watching him. Heavenly Father, in this moment right here, I saw people's eyes. I saw their faces. There's people in this room that are going through battles right now. Sickness battles. They heard the C word or Alzheimer's or part, whatever it is, God. They heard it. There's divorces that's happened. There's financial ruin. There's job situations. There's a battle. God, I'm hoping they walk out of this place today and understand that you not just give, you not, you not only just give them victory, but you give them protection in battle. And God, when I said about questions, man, eyes were just opening up. Because I believe in our current culture, there's lots of questions. God, my prayer is this today. Jesus, would you do this by your Holy Spirit? people that have questions in this room about faith, about you, about life, God, that they would seek you with everything they have. And because of that, that promise that they'll find you, that they'll find the real God of the universe. God, even people in this room that have maybe been searching for 30, 40, 50 years, maybe, they, maybe they're even believers, but they're still trying to figure out this whole God thing. God, I pray that you would start to bring amazing amounts of clarity, that they would lean into everything about you. And God, of all the things that I said today, 
the most response visually and physically that I got was when I said that God still wants to use people. That God's, you see things in some of us that, that nobody else sees and, and I, sure, I sure don't see. So today I pray that people would walk out of this place realizing how special they are to you. Not because of gifts and talents, because of the present work that you're doing in their lives. God, I'm thankful for those things. I'm thankful for the series. I'm thankful for the documentation of the Holy Scriptures that we can look back thousands and thousands of years and see people just like us, Moseses and Davids and Esthers and Jonathans, God, and Nehemiahs and today Gideon. And we can learn biblical truth of how to go through a current culture. I'm thankful for that. God, I'm thankful for our people. I'm thankful for this faith community that gets to have candid conversations week after week about stuff just like this. I pray that you are honored today, that your name, Jesus, was lifted up above every name, above Journey, above Bobby, above, above Justin, above everybody. Your name is the only one that draws people. Your name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. And everyone said, amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or would like to talk with someone about taking your next step, email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.